going, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of your favorite Sunday podcast, Scales and Tales, episode 94. And we are joined by another gentleman up by the PNW, uh, kind of that Oregon area, and um, he has, uh, he's, he's, He's a bigger tournament angler now than he is kind of a swim bait guy, so the name might kind of elude you guys if you're not familiar with who he is. We're joined by Mr. Colby Pearson from uh, Oregon, and we'll have him introduce our uh, have him introduce himself. Him and I were kind of talking before the show, and I think uh, what we're going to talk about and kind of his um, take on stuff from from swim bait fishing for a long time is going to make for a super good episode. So we'll have Colby introduce himself, and then we'll uh, we'll get into it. What's up, guys? Uh, Colby Pearson. Uh, Colby Pearson Fishing on Instagram and most social medias, if you maybe see me on there. Um, tournament fisherman out of the Northwest. I do live in Oregon. I fish uh, the Apex Pro Circuit and uh, Wild West Bass Trail Pro-Ams. Started fishing Pro-Ams about five years ago and have had some pretty good success doing that. So that makes up uh, a lot of my time. Definitely more of a profession now than at any point in the past, but I do love throwing swim baits. I've been doing it for about 15 years. I was thinking about that earlier today. Uh, I think I was the fi- uh, 25th member of Swimbait Underground when it launched. So definitely got some history, loved throwing the big baits, and uh, was pretty sure one of the first guys doing it in the Northwest. Dang, dude, you've almost been swim bait fishing for as long as I've been alive. <laughs> <laughs> give, or, give or take a handful of years. So been doing it for 15 years man that is uh so what was that like 2007 no it'd have been what, what year would that have been like 2008 yeah 2008 and it might even be a little bit longer man i was thinking about the baits i started throwing and they were like some really old rego baits mm-hmm. um that i got a hold of and uh, the old castaic hardheads and things like ms slammers and stuff so dating myself a little bit but um it's cool to see where the industry has progressed there's so many new bait styles techniques and resources i mean it just expanded exponentially yeah dude some real like og garage bait stuff right there and obviously before we get into that a little bit what's what's your background into fishing how did it start for you growing up in oregon in the pnw had it been bass fishing or a lot of guys up there seem to have started like with trout and, uh, you know, steelhead and stuff like that. So how, how did, how did it all start for you? Yeah, man. Um, you know, time frame wise, it's a little foggy. I've essentially had a fishing rod in my hand almost my entire life. So I couldn't say if I was three or maybe four years old, I knew I kind of had a knack and interest for fishing and being by the water. Um, I did have some exposure that early on to fishing. And then in the mid to late 90s, my grandparents moved to a house in the woods that had a pond. And I started fishing for bluegill and catfish and bass. Uh, Really quickly noted that the bass were kind of like the apex predator in the pond. And they just totally captivated me. I loved catching them. I can still remember when I was five and six years old, just learning how to fish plastic worms and things in that pond. Um, So nobody really was... uh, I guess, teaching me per se. I don't have a super fishing background family. I did have a grandpa who was kind of like a legendary Northwest fly fisherman, although I never got into fly fishing. Um, He was a a really uh, notable angler up here. So I guess it just kind of predispositioned. I'm hardwired to be interested in fishing just like he was. And uh, he was a science teacher too. So we used to talk a lot, compare notes, um, definitely gave me a scientific approach to fishing, especially big bait fishing. And, um, yeah, I just loved it ever since. So just got introduced, um, kind of lightly and then took it from there. And man, 
a little bit self-taught, you know, definitely had a lot of my own trials and tribulations. And uh, when I was about 10, I met uh, one of my best friends and his dad, and they got me into fishing bass tournaments. So I've been fishing bass tournaments now for about 18 or 19 years and uh, super indebted to them and their exposure, uh, picking me up when I was a young kid and getting me involved in another type of fishing bass tournaments. So that's the general rundown, man. Dang, dude, that's so awesome. And um, you had mentioned uh, having like a science aspect to it. Is that something that you take, you bring to the table still as far as like finding out how fish are relating and just kind of picking them apart a little bit more? Yeah. Um, when I was growing up, man, I had nothing but time like most kids do. And I'm super lucky that I was able to throw myself entirely towards fishing. You know, I had something that I loved to do that I was doing at a single digit age, whether it was six or seven or eight or nine, you know, all I wanted to do was fish all the time. So I took a ton of time just kind of analyzing the the ecosystem and kind of the order of operations, seeing how all the different fish interacted with each other, um, paying attention to the weather and uh, really just any sort of um, correlations that I could make. Um, it's almost more of a curse than it is a blessing now in like a prolonged kind of tournament setting i'm probably considering way too many variables all the time but there is a lot of times where it really really does pay off yeah i think that can go like is it just even as simple as like moon phases or uh when the moon sets and just stuff like that i mean once you start to over over process that i feel like guys you know cut back on the fishing expedient expedently and they're like oh i'm not gonna go fish today because you know the sun's rising past 2 p.m or the the moon's setting past 2 p.m so the fish aren't gonna be biting and it's just like okay well you know yeah that, that might be the case but it also might be the case that it could be the best day of fishing in the whole month so you know don't don't knock it you might as well go just because you can 100 percent, dude you never know and uh yeah i like to try to stay out of the habit of being too predisposed to kind of like assume how the bite's going to be. I did it yesterday. So I'm kind of a bum. <laughs> I left the lake. I was like, this is junk. Yeah. But, um, you know, um, I try not to get too much in my own head. I did notice over quite a few years of keeping records that the biggest fish I've ever caught are almost always in less than optimal conditions. A lot of times when I'm least expecting it midday bite, 11 in the morning type deal, give up all hope. And then, tick and you got a giant so yeah i just love being out there man anytime i can so i try to stick it out no matter what when when possible yeah it's it's funny how that stuff works and so you got into tournament fishing at a decently young age did that just kind of explode your your mind to bass fishing like did that just leave you gra wanting to grasp more knowledge for what makes these fish you know work and what makes them relate to certain things um, yeah. So like I said, I got involved when I was about 10, I was doing the co-angler thing, um, different bass clubs and stuff. And I was just pretty much like begging anyone, like, please take me out on the back of your boat. You know, like I know how to fish. I'll help you catch them. We can do team tournaments or individual. I don't care. Just, I want to get out there so bad. And, um, it definitely did keep me super interested. I kind of had a about a five or six year phase where all i was doing was trophy hunting and fishing big baits so even though i started fishing tournaments when i was 10 there was a time frame from the time i was about like 14 to 18 19 20 in that vicinity man i just wanted to catch 10 pounders and throw the big baits and do that stuff too so i've kind of had a couple different like i guess phases of my fishing career where i'm really driven to fish tournaments i want to get out there and then all I care about is trophy bass. And then 
uh, as I became an adult, I uh, obviously had to start working a bunch and I was still throwing big baits, but I, I got really into the idea of fishing tournaments. I've always wanted to fish full time and make a living doing it. So that's kind of more so the direction I wanted to take, although targeting trophy fish never really left as a major interest. It wasn't as practical as me trying to pursue something that could maybe help fund itself down the road. Yeah. And the fact that you were, you know, that 14, 14 to 19 age range and like being consistent of just wanting to catch the biggest fish, I feel like that really isn't anything crazy common. I mean, even, even now today, like a lot of kids, you know, my age are, you know, going out, I mean, a lot of kids, my, my, a lot of kids, my age, I feel like are going out there to tournament fish. And there's really, you know, when I think of trophy fishing, I think of older guys, you know, that like 30 to 50 year range that are going out there and they're completely, they've caught so many fish in their life. They're content with not catching a fish for five, six trips at a time until they catch that one. Your favorite swim bait podcast is now proudly sponsored by Leviathan Rods. Leviathan Rods is a Texas-based fishing rod company that's handcrafted and uses high-end, made-in-the-USA rod blanks. Every sale from Leviathan helps support foster youth and their families. With Leviathan Rods, you're not only going to feel a difference, but you're going to help make a difference, too. Friends of the show will also get 20% off their rod purchases by using code SCALES20 at checkout. So whether you're fishing a depth 250 or a square bill, make sure you're using the best rod choice out there, Leviathan Rods. 100%. I'm actually glad that I went through that phase when I was in my teens because like really nothing mattered. You know, you're so young, you can just in, invest like just insane amounts of time behind something that maybe doesn't come to fruition or really pay big dividends. So the other thing too is, is like, I think that people get really stubborn and stuck in their ways. They're kind of like shaping and molding who they become as a person, what their opinions are, what their habits are when they're in their teens into their 20s. So there's like a certain level of attention and passion that I was able to deliver towards chasing big fish that in my late twenties. Now, I don't think I could really expend that amount of energy. You know, when I go to the lake and it's kind of not a good buy, I mean, I tough it out and I stick it out, but I would have done it a hundred days straight when I was 16 just to do it. Whereas now I'm kind of like, nah, I know this bite's going to be going now and that that bite's going to be going then. So I kind of just chase it around. Yeah, I'm not like I go to the lake for a week straight, just grind sun up till sundown <laughs> for one bite. But luckily, I was able to get so much of that time in the saddle that I can make the observations and typically can produce some big fish most days on the water. Yeah, dude, that is that's like super badass to hear. I remember being like fresh out of high school, 17 or 18. And I remember uh, I used to I used to do uh, house siding, house and business siding and stuff, and we'd work 10, 12 hour days. And I would go to this, go to these set of marina docks that I would just fish constantly. And I had those fish so dialed. I'd go out there with a big crank down swim bait and I'd catch four or five mission fish a night. I'd be content. I'd get home at 11, you know, be in bed by 12, wake up at six to go back to work. And I was, I was on that, like, like that was my drug, dude. I would go down and I, you know, if I wasn't catching fish, I'd be pissed off the next day at work because I was tired and I didn't catch any fish the night before. Oh, dude, a hundred percent. That's exactly who I was too. We used to like, when I was in high school as a freshman before we really had boats and stuff, um, we used to take pontoon boats and like double stack them in the bed of my buddy's Toyota and just work all day or go to school all day, get off, hit the lake, fish all night, just roll into class or roll into work the next day. Just like totally just eyes or bloodshot, barely slept, like, oh my gosh, dude, I'm so glad I did that stuff back then, because it was so much experience, you know? 
Yeah, dude, and it was it was it was a lot more fun because I could I could rebound back from from it back compared to now. Like, you know, I, I still don't get much sleep because I stay up late doing stuff. But it's like I don't have to go to work and like beat myself up on a construction site and then worry about trying to go home and catch fish after. Like, I'm content with with coming home, having dinner, and recording a podcast, and, you know, just working on the magazine rather than go out and fish for six hours and come back in and do the same stuff. It's like, okay, like, I'm I'm content with not fishing today. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And at this day and age, I like to, like, take a, a solid trip. You know, like, if I got a two-day weekend or something like that, I'm going to bounce and probably drive somewhere a couple hours away, four, five, six hours away, and just have, like, a really good experience for a couple days learning something. And then back in the day, 10 years ago, I was like on the water 300 days a year, every local lake, just hammering the fish, dude, you know? So yeah, it's, it's a little bit more experience based these days. And I do a lot of practicing for events too. So I'll be on the road a bunch. Yeah. And so when you were, you know, freshman at 13, 14 years old, is that when you first heard about swim baits around your area? Um, I, I think I was pretty well into throwing swim baits when I was like in middle school. So probably oh, like, wow. yeah, probably like seventh grade is when I started to actually like make the correlations between big baits and big fish. And you hear stories of like old timers on the dock reeling in a trout that gets just macked by a quote unquote 10 pounder, even though it's probably a five, you know, that's the, the proverbial Northwest story you hear all the time. But, um, yeah, dude. So I think I was kind of into throwing them in 2004 and five and six, kind of like a interest that was vague. I didn't really understand how to interpret those lures and make them super productive, but I could see that they had a potential. And then once I started to get a little bit older, more mature, smarter, um, not that a 13 year old's mature or smart, um, <laughs> I was able to at least kind of interpret those lures. And I was throwing a lot of Ospreys, so like line through style swim baits. And then the castaic hardheads and stuff, mostly just chuck and wine baits, you know, or twitch baits and, uh, started to be pretty productive. And then, um, I'd say I got really proficient at catching bigger fish, probably around that, like 14, 15, you know, into high school, I started to actually kind of understand and be able to put some of the pattern together and, and in turn catch a lot of big fish. Um, I think swim bait underground launched in 2010. So, um, joined that before that it was, um, swim bait nation and a few West coast forums, cow fishing and stuff. So, um, I kind of was on the come up at the same time as the internet resources forums and stuff were starting to blow up. So I was like, um, there was a good amount of information, but still nothing like there is today. You know, we were all throwing like the same five baits back then. It seemed like. Yeah, I had I had a gentleman on uh, Trevor Tippett or yeah Tippett's uh, a couple weeks ago, and he was he was probably a little bit older than you, but he was talking about you know getting brought up with Swimbait Nation and you know driving fo- having his mom drive him like three or four hours to go fish with these random guys that he met on the forums and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yep, dude, that is like looking at it like from my perspective, that is such a badass time to grow up. In, into like the swim baits and stuff like that just had to be the coolest thing ever oh dude a hundred percent and then uh i mean so many of my friends dude lifelong friends you know i met through those forums back you know almost 15 years ago now and i remember we'd have group chats just like a brotherhood almost of these swim bait guys and it was like um wayne uh campbell obviously and then um 
Caesar and Piz and Stephen Morgan, who used to make a bunch of baits. And dude, so many of these guys who are incredibly successful, not only in fishing, but in business in the industry. Now I was so tight with back then, just cause we met at a grassroots level. Like we all love to fish. We're all interested in swim baits. Like let's, let's share this passion of fishing. So I got so many friends, dude, that were part of that original group who've just turned out to be absolute savages in the business side of things and in the fishing side of things. And that's the coolest thing. Yeah. Back when, back when Caesar was making his custom wood boxes and stuff. And now look at him here in a week, he's going to get ready to host his fourth toxic day meetup. Yeah, dude. It's so epic, dude. I mean, like back when I first met Caesar or knew Caesar, he was just only had a rat bait. I think he made other stuff, dude. He's always been a crafty guy, but he kind of like was posting about his rats and stuff and know the whole background of toxic baits and to see those guys go from where they were then to where they are now it's just like it's insane dude i mean i remember i'm pretty good friends with clayton from sly guy and i remember some of his first ever posts of lures you know at least on swim bait underground and he had a perch and a bass little four-piece baits or whatever and he's just like these guys have taken it to the highest degree i could have never no one could have ever imagined this stuff you know yeah and and you know guys back then had no idea that it was going to be um that there was going to be big name brands knocking them off and stuff you know 13 16 years later down the road you know it was not guys weren't expecting for for builders to be collabing with spro at the time to to make baits and stuff like that was probably not even in the realm of possibilities at that point or not maybe not in the realm of possibilities not in the realm of like thoughts or ideas back then dude and Exactly. I'm glad you brought up the Spro thing. That's so crazy because I was talking to Kevin, if anybody doesn't know, KGB, the other day, and he's probably got the most like notoriously sought after bait on the market right now. Um, yeah. The Chad Shads and the Legends and all that stuff. And I was talking to him just kind of reminiscent about like 10 or 12 years ago, I was doing prototype testing for some of his baits and he was making a trout bait, multi-piece trout bait. And I'm like, dude, if you would have told me that you would have the number one most sought after swim bait. The dude's doing podcasts with BTL, uh, Bass Talk Live and stuff, you know, and, and partnering up with Spro. I like, I never in a million years would I have guessed that. But dude, he had just hard work and determination and he's a fishy guy, dude. And he just like made it happen. And that's what, exactly what Caesar did. That's what Piz did. I mean, when we used to talk swim baits back in the day, I don't even think Piz was making baits. Dude. He was just no, painting. Was probably painting. Yeah. Yeah. He was just painting. That's all he was doing. So, you know, these guys just made it happen and it just, man, it's what an incredible time to be alive and see, see so much success and be part of the original kind of transition from forum, you know, swim bait fishing, just blossoming to exploding now. And it's like a noxious weed <laughs> in a good way. Yeah, dude. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. And so you were super young when all this started happening and you were fishing like the, the just pretty much like the soft baits is what you said, the line throughs and stuff. Do you remember your first hard bait or do you remember seeing like glide baits and stuff on the forums at all? Or maybe like uh slammers or, uh, I don't, was might was bold. Was there even like bull shads readily available at that time? Uh, bull shads, at least to my knowledge were, I didn't really notice them until a few years later, like 2010, 11 nine range in in there you know like i was definitely fishing baits a lot before yeah they were very common you know um man dude my first hard bait was probably like a ac minnow um which i think was distributed like a optimum bait um oh. anyways you just a big old ugly wooden oh, build wake bait you know 
and then uh kind of just went from there and then as far as glide baits dude nobody hardly knew what a glide bait was besides the s waiver until probably 2000 and maybe maybe 2011 and anybody who says they were on it before then dude i mean they might have been the depths has been around a little longer than that but i knew a few guys who got them u.s market and they just weren't into them you know it was the glide bait trend or i guess action the style of it was i mean it just we were so into like s motion baits just evenly swimming natural baits that when we saw a glide we're like hey, i don't know about this and i think a lot of them got shelved without really even like understanding the potential so i know my first big glide bait was a hiroshima um brock was making those things back and i think 2000 10 11 he might have been making them under wraps before then but i know i was prototype testing some baits for him um around that time frame so i was definitely probably the first guy throwing glides with any consistency in oregon and really like dude there was a very few guys in the country i believe that were throwing glides like that um a few guys who maybe got onto the depths i knew a few of them in northern california who were into them but other than that dude i had a super big leg up on the glide bait game um thanks to brock and i had i mean man i had a day back around that time frame i think i had 38 pounds for five in about a evening session and a morning session so in oregon that's like unheard of dude dude that's that's freaking bonkers that is was it on the glide bait on the hero glide bait yeah yeah on the hiroshima uh he had an original uh eight and a half inch uh hardtail and uh he sent me a couple different sink rates but i had one that was just like man dude leaps and bounds the go-to so I hammered him on that bait until it eventually I busted the pin a few years later, but man, sick bait. Um, really cool to get that experience so early on. And then after that, I started throwing the gang craft a lot and caught some really big fish on that too. And then got into the depths and, and then the sly guy glides and all everything, dude, I got everything now. That's so, I mean, that dude, that sounds like, you know, just absolute crazy being, you know, maybe not necessarily the pioneer, but being the first up to do it, like seriously in your area. I mean, that being the first person to fish a glide bait in your area is such a crazy experience that like I got to experience it. And dude, I mean, just seeing these fish, you know, just fish rise off the bottom and they're like, what is that thing? Like, oh my gosh, I want to eat it is the coolest thing ever to see. Yeah, dude, it was super powerful. I mean, I was seeing so many fish and I was you know, I was able to catch a good amount. If I knew half of what I know now back then, dude, I mean, it would have been absurd. The amount of big fish. I mean, we had interactions with like state record class fish on multiple occasions. Uh, me and my buddy that I used to throw big baits with all the time. Um, yeah, dude, it was, it was awesome though. Super awesome. So when you first got the hero, uh, Hiroshima, what was like your experience? Was, was it like, okay, this isn't a soft bait. Like I need to figure out how to fish this thing effectively and i need to just to fish it differently instead of just consistent reel it in like you would a soft bait yeah so i'm not gonna lie dude it took a lot of i guess um motivation from from brock and another one of my buddies randall from northern california to really throw the bait hard because i threw it and i was like dude like this swims weird you know what i mean like it's just back and forth and i just you know kind of coming from like a analytical mindset of like fish swim this way not that way i just didn't get it and then um i finally took a day and just threw it and i just saw so many fish it was pulling so many followers and fish were coming up and kissing it and whether they'd get hooked or, or whatever you know 
um, that's when I really finally committed and then kind of, kind of learned it, dude. And, um, I'm glad I did because it's one of the most common things that I throw nowadays. I mean, the glide bait craze has been a slow burn up until this point, but I'd say it's really exploded with the advent of shad glides and so much of that stuff in the last three or four years. So it's, it's super helpful to have gotten a good leg up on throwing the glides. Um, so now when I need it in a tournament situation, it's like no brainer. Let's just go throw a glide type deal. Yeah. And we'll touch on that a little bit later. Cause that's something that I kind of want to hear your experience, like with the glide bait and, and the tournament stuff. But when, when you first got the glide baits and kind of first figured it out, like you, you said you had multiple, you know, serious contenders for state record fish, follow it up. Do you remember your first experience, like seeing, you know, five, six, seven pound fish following, following a glide bait? Like, were you, were you crapping yourself for a better term while this fish was following this bait in? And did you kind of figure out how to make these fish commit boat side with like a hard reel twitch or, you know, maybe even like a trap them or something at that point in time? Or was it kind of like you'd have fish follow in it? I mean, there was literally not, you couldn't YouTube anything at the, like there wasn't anything out there to kind of learn fish behavior, following glides and how to turn a, a follower into a commit. So was there anything you had figured out along those, that along that journey too? Yeah, I'd say within probably like a couple weeks of throwing the glide, I was fishing with, uh, one of my best friends and his dad. Um, and the guy I'm talking about is actually Jacob Wall, who's a Bass Pro Tour pro. He just got second at Gunnersville like two weeks ago. It's like my best friend. Um, so we were, he, we've thrown swim baits together for, since we were like 10, 12 years old. Um, so I was with him and his dad, dude, and I was hitting one of these lakes in, in the valley here. And it, we kind of knew it had potential to have double digit fish and state record class fish. That's really why we fished it, because back then we were both pretty smitten with the trophy hunting. And uh, I pulled a fish, a really committed follower on that glide. And, and we all looked at her for like 30 seconds and we're like, dude, like, what is that? That's like got to be like a 12 pounder, you know, and we're all just sitting there looking at it. And like the consensus was me and Jacob and his dad were like, dude, it like literally was a 12, generally a post-spawn fish that had the frame. Like we're talking like in the mid upper twenties of inches, which in the Northwest, that's freaky, dude. Most of these yeah. guys catching a double digit up here. It's like a 25 inch fish. It's just like double stacked, super fat. Um, they don't really get a ton longer. Like we've caught a couple 26 inches, but this one that we had that day was like 26, 27 inches. So, I mean, sky's the limit when you get a Northwest fish that fills out with a gut to back it up. Um, but you know, that one didn't go, but it gave us something to chase, which was awesome. And then over time we definitely learned like, you know, real pop twitches, um, Back then, most of the glides, you really had to work with the reel because if you worked it with the rod, they weren't maybe as balanced or shaped the way that present day baits are. You'd blow them out pretty bad. Um, but we got good at doing reel pops and stuff and playing the bait within its own means because if you overworked it, it was just going to totally, those fish are going to be like, no, dude, I'm out. But yeah, mostly what we learned was just uh, about angles and timing. You know what I mean? Uh, getting the cover of the wind, a little bit of a breeze and ripple um leaving fish and coming back and and dude the number one thing we learned back then throwing glides is like you can show it to them once and they're going to be the most interested they've probably ever been and if you show it to them twice they're going to be 30 percent less interested you show it to them three times they're going to be 30 percent less interested again yeah. you know and then eventually after the fourth time they're like bro i'm never following that bait again um you know unless you came back at optimal conditions but that was the main thing dude we just it's like 
know when to hold them and know when to fold them. You know, you really, it's like a card game. You're out there on the water and you really got to take every piece of information um, and utilize it to the best of your ability. And you really got to know when to fold them, dude. You got to know when to leave that fish and come back later type deal. And uh, I mean, that, those observations have stuck with me to this day. I'd say I'm probably, um, that's probably one of my main skills is being able to analyze a, a specific fish's behavior and being like, yep, or nope, without pressuring them with the bait and then just bouncing and coming back switching angles or even techniques yeah and at this point in time were you guys um were you guys chasing trout stockings or anything or was that something that you guys hadn't even thought of like until it became mainstream and people started talking about it probably on forums and stuff yeah so super funny topic in oregon um sorry to all the dudes in socal who don't get trout stockings like they used to but up here dude in my opinion you don't have to chase trout stockings because there's so much damn trout in the lake anyways that when they stock it with trout the fish actually bite worse <laughs> if that makes sense so it's kind of like um all those fish get gorged and there's i've never one time in my life been on a bite that i'm like oh man it's going down because they just stocked the lake i've always seen it consistently get worse every single time you know, um, but we were fishing lakes that did get trout stockings. Um, and there was correlations in them biting in relation to the trout stockings, but usually it was like a couple weeks after the trout have dispersed and then the bass are just feeding on trout. Then we could go throw trout baits and then inherently have results. If we just went out right as they dumped 5,000 off the back of a truck into this small 200 to 500 acre lake. Yeah. yeah, dude, we might get bit and they're going to weigh more because they're full of trout. But honestly, the bite in terms of quality really never was that good. But there's always trout up here. I mean, dude, 365 days a year, there's fish that can eat trout in, you know, a half a dozen or a dozen lakes an hour in my house. Yeah, damn. And did you, going off the trout question, did you get like into the huddleston craze when that started blowing up at all or was that something you kind of stayed away from whether it was on purpose or accident you just never got into it yeah so i think you know the huds really started to kind of become low-key popular like maybe in the earlier 2000s like five and six i think steve yeah. kennedy had that good tournament at clear lake in maybe 2008 or may maybe he that was later dude maybe that was 2010 anyways dude um I was throwing huds back around 2000 and probably 10 around the forum time, you know, is when I started to get on there, started to see guys doing good and the hud became one of my favorite baits. And I actually worked pretty, pretty close a few times with Ken and Dennis and those guys at Huddleston, whether it was different baits or styles or whatever. And I was super fortunate to get to prototype some of their baits. Um, weedless 68 was one. Um, I think I caught the first double digit maybe on a weedless 68 in prototype phase. So that was super sick. I actually caught it at a lake that Ken was familiar with. So it was cool. Like kind of nostalgic to be like, Hey dude, thanks for the bait. Here's what we're doing. We caught these fish on it. And then boom, I caught one of them at the time. It was my personal best swim bait fish. So that was pretty awesome. Dang dude. That is just so badass to hear yeah that. And, a, and an oregon fish too you know so that was like pretty sick dude i think that was probably my first double over 10 pounds on a swim bait and it was on a prototype bay at a lake that the maker was familiar with can't beat that yeah did uh do you remember when southern trout eaters came out or when guys started talking about that on the forums by chance yeah i think that was probably 20 i don't know 13 or 12 or something 
Um, and absolutely, dude. I mean, that was like before that it was big bait posse. So that was yeah. kind of blowing up a few years before. And dude, we put that on loop. Like I just burned that disc up so bad, you know, and they were throwing the <clears throat> big top waters and triple trouts and all that stuff, dude. And that was like, what an infectious film that was. I watched that a thousand times. And then, yeah, dude, Matt put together his, his, uh, video and it was so much, uh, more based in like being informative and being tactical and casting angles approaches and really was just kind of like a how to on how to catch big fish and and break down water you know so i absolutely remember that watching that a thousand times totally uh changed the way that we approached catching those big fish and became friends with matt and to this day man super super hyped on that guy i was talking to him the other day great guy that's so cool and while you were obviously while you were fishing the big baits and stuff and it was kind of blowing up on a small small term scale were you fishing a lot of tournaments too uh yeah back then i was still in high school so it was club stuff i've always kind of like favored a systematic approach to everything so i started fishing club level regional um did some opens i did the co-angler thing and then in 2018 i started fishing as like a professional as a boater rather and then started fishing a lot bigger circuits, more prestigious stuff. Um, but back then, I definitely was fishing a lot of um, a lot of tournaments. And were you kind of going out there catching your limit and then tossing the big bait, or were you, if it was a partner thing, were you like, okay, I'm going to fish the swim bait, you're going to fish the chatter bait, and catch our four, and I'll catch our I'll catch our big fifth one? Yeah, a lot of the reservoirs out here. Um, you know, if if guys aren't familiar with the setup i mean the reservoirs of the west are essentially a tributary or multiple tributaries that all come to a junction and make a lake and there's a dam um so they're pretty much tend to be very clear and they're they're sterile environments and that's the i'd say the biggest change that most people don't understand about the west is they don't tend to have much grass there's some crawdads but not really they don't usually have strong populations of bluegill or uh shad for that matter and there's a couple shiners but not really so realistically and ironically the uh tournament approach for me in especially in oregon and lakes i'm really familiar with it's just swim bait all day <laughs> you know it's just a big sterile cup of water with very little um biomass in terms of a food chain so throwing a trout bait all day is actually a really viable technique um, if they're not going on that, it's kind of similar to like what guys do in SoCal, dude. It's like straight up finesse, like four to six pound fluorocarbon and little worms, you know? So my, my techniques of preference are so <laughs> completely the opposite, but I love it, man. I love catching them on a little spinning rod and then I love throwing big baits. Yeah, man, that, I mean, that there's as much as people razz on it, like catching, catching a fish, a, a good size fish, you know, four or five pound fish with four six pound leader on a drop shot rod like a 610 you know medium light dude that is such a blast i mean you get to feel that fish every second of the fight and it's it's a lot of fun i mean there's two sides of the spectrum it's grinding them in with you know a big big swim bait setup and then it's like feathering them with a finesse rod i mean it's really hard to beat yeah and i mean it's there's kind of like a uh they've built this stigma around swim bait fishing where they almost categorize swim bait fish as different fish. And I'm like, man, I have like a really hard time wrapping my head around that. Cause like every fish is a swim bait fish, adult, large mouth and small mouth bass eat fish. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? So they're all swim bait yeah. fish. So a lot of times I'll catch a giant on a worm and guys are always like, dude, like, how'd you get 30 pounds on this little bait? And I'm like, bro, there's just all swim bait fish. They're set up just like swim bait fish, but they're not going, you know what I mean? So I got really creative and in, in finding different techniques to catch swim bait fish when swim bait fish aren't acting like swim bait fish. So I wish guys, more guys would realize that. I really wish that they'd realize that every five pounder is a swim bait fish, not just the one that came up and blasted your high float, tiny clash as a swim bait fish. Cause it would, it'll eat a worm in two hours when it's 96 degrees and sunny, but okay. Yeah. Um, and th- that's funny you say this cause on my drive home tonight, um, while, while the day we're recording this, I was thinking of, uh, the next po the next poll I put up on, uh, on my Instagram story is going to be, is swim bait, do you make swim bait fishing your person personality or do you make swim baits your personality? Cause I feel like that's kind of where we're at now is guys, which, you know, good or bad thing, you can, can interpret it as your own way, but like guys will go out there and they are, and I was like this at one point in time too. So I'm not, you know, I'm not calling the kettle black here, but it's like you, you have four sticks on the deck and they're uh, medium all the way to extra, extra heavy. They're all strung up with 20 pound, you know, fluoro at the lowest. And you got 65 pound braid to a 30 pound leader. And you got a Roman made mother tied on one, a, a King shad, you got a Chad shad, and then you got a TK tied on your other one. And it's just kind of like people, it feels like now more than ever kind of make it to where they're fishing swim baits, no matter what, no matter if the conditions are good for it or not. And then also, um, they're they're going out there to catch any fish it feels like a lot of guys are just going out there to catch fish whereas you know i felt like when it started like when when you're talking about it being big guys were going out there to catch the fish yeah dude 100 percent. so swim baits in a nutshell have became more conventional and i totally believe that because you know i fish a lake out here and it's like in the morning i was just like recently dude i was catching them on a tiny clash high float uh, working class zero joy thief whatever and uh just smacking them dude and then like all of a sudden two hours later it's like yeah bro it's a deep crank bite they're the same fish i just can't get any other bait down as deep as i can get an 8xd so yeah. <laughs> hate on it if you want bro but that's just a four and a half inch bait fish imitation too just like the tk is up on the surface even if it's six inches i don't care you know so i don't know it's it's kind of funny, but it's it's all good, dude. As long as people love to get out there and they're involved in bass fishing, I don't care what they do or how they do it. It's a it's a big industry, and I hope it gets bigger. You know. Yeah, and that's like um that's you know other side of the spectrum as far as like a different dilemma. That's like guys saying you know oh that four inch glide bait that's not a glide bait that that's a conventional bait and it's like oh yeah. you know it's crazy because it glides and it has a joint. (laughs) Yeah. They got to decide if they want to care about fishing baits or catching big fish. I mean, that's the weird thing. Like, okay, dude, but this fish would eat this bait at 9am, but that'll eat that bait at 11am. I still want to catch the thing. So here we go, dude. Yeah, man. It's, uh, it's a very interesting, interesting approach. Uh, seems like, especially now, I mean, like you have, you have guys that were doing in 2003, um that they that like they talk about in sow belly and all they are worried about is catching that 20 pound fish they don't care if they're doing it 
you know, on a swim bait or if they're doing it on a live crawdad, they are just after, they were after that 20, that 24 pound fish in Lake Dixon. They were live lining crawdads or they were doing trout or they had, you know, trashy fish or whatever. They were just trying to catch that fish. They didn't care how they did it. They were, they were doing it with, with what set up the best that day. Yes. Yeah. No, those guys were obsessed, dude. I've met some of them. They're freaking nut jobs with all due respect. I love them, but like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, dude. I <laughs> lunatics, I, dude. I freaking believe that. And so after after you get into the glide baits and stuff, when did you kind of um find find like the MS slammer and stuff? Was that before glide baits or was that kind of during that whole glide bait craze that you were going through? Yeah, a little bit before. You know, we were throwing slammers a bunch around that time and we were night fishing a lot, and I still think that's like one of the best night fishing baits ever. And it, it works around the clock, dude. 24 hours a day, most days of the year. You can catch slammer fish. Huge fan of those baits. But um, yeah, I got into the wake baits. And then probably by like, I don't know, by the time I graduated high school, like 2012, we were like throwing everything. You know, that's when everything was pretty much on the market at that point. The only really new, like super innovative revisions are probably like all the DRT stuff, you know? Yeah. And at that point, you know, graduating high school a little bit before, even probably a little bit after, were there other guys outside of your group of friends that were swim bait fishing in Oregon or at these other lakes that you had fished around the area? Dude, honestly, almost none. I believe like, it. So, so we had like a six or eight year jump on anyone even trying and it's 2023 and like, there's a couple people around here that do it, but dude, not really. No one's really doing it. Not really, really doing it. They throw swim baits, dude, of course, but they're not like hardcore swim bait fishermen. There's, um, I don't know if you know, like, uh, Eli and his brother, Josh, um, they have expedition baits. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, dude. They're, they're, they're super sick because he's making that salamander bait and like props to him because that's a, like a unique bait. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the market's so regurgitated right now. Like it literally makes me sick, but yeah, props to everybody for getting involved. But I remember those dudes coming in and, uh, coming into my work and or coming to like a seminar or something and asking me about big baits. And I was like, dude, those, that's like the next generation right there. So to see them come up, that's, that's super tight and they're getting into it and it's super badass because Josh got his PB earlier this year. You know, we had some conversations about just kind of where and when and what, and you know, them guys have been grinding super hard, dude, and he caught his PB giant Oregon fish. So that's pretty sick. So there's a few guys doing it. Um, shout out to them. And, uh, Meh, maybe like a handful of other guys. There's a dude named Andrew who throws a hog hunter a bunch up here and catches giants too. So he's super sick. So props to those guys, but not many, dude. There's not a lot of pressure. The lakes just kind of suck. <laughs> <laughs> you uh do you know a Dylan Borsek by chance? He's a he's a really young kid. Like he just graduated yeah. high school. Like yeah, dude, Dylan, uh I did a couple seminars up in um Eugene, I think he lives up there. Yeah, he and does. he came to that one, and then he came down to one I did in Roseburg too. You know, because I'll do, I'll do some demos just kind of for sponsors and and do all the trade shows and stuff. And uh, depending on who's in the crowd, dude, I'll bust out like a pretty spicy swim bait seminar. You know, I'll drop all the juice at this time because I'm mostly traveling, so I don't get to fish in Oregon as much as I'd like to. You know, because yeah. I'm doing the tournament stuff. So I'm pretty open and honest, you know, trying to pass down information to someone who might be able to maybe break a state record or something. So yeah, he showed up. He's a super nice kid. Dang, dude. And that's so crazy. You guys had just that, 
that long of a head start on people before they even heard caught wind of it. I mean, those fish maybe didn't know what the baits were, but they definitely, it wasn't virgin waters, the areas you guys were fishing anymore. Yeah. Yeah, dude, we got huge leg up. We got to see them all catch a bunch. I mean, just dude, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of big fish. Were you guys posting these fish at all? At yeah, we were freaking idiots, dude. <laughs> we we were hanging baits and sporting backgrounds, and dude, we're my worst nightmare now. Um, but yeah, dude, we we kind of I don't want to say paved the way because it comes across arrogant, but we kind of devised like a perfect uh, strategy what lake to be at when certain times a year and throwing big baits and what baits are successful at those lakes too. Cause in this region of Oregon, dude, I live at like 1500 feet elevation mm-hmm. and within an hour I could be fishing at like 5,500 feet elevation. So I got a ton of mountains. So you can really play like pre-spawn and post-spawn. Yeah. Um, if you know how to do it. So it's like, um, just like you follow like a major tournament circuit, right? They start in the South in Florida and it's like bed fishing in January. And then they get a little bit further north, a little bit further north, and they go on the northern swing. And then all of a sudden they're fishing for smallmouth in June and they're still bad fishing. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like the state of Oregon in a nutshell. So I could always be on pre-spawn fish till about right now. Like I saw some bed fish yesterday, right? So it's mid-June. Um, so I can stay on big fat fish most of the year and kind of capitalize on always catching big ones. And then by the time I finish the last lake in terms of like pre-spawn, bite window i can go back to the first lake i targeted back in february and then they're like post-spawn feeding if that makes sense dang dude that is crazy that you can stretch it out that far oh dude totally and then like all of a sudden the lake will start popping in september it'll have a couple weeks and cool off you know and then all of a sudden another one goes in october it's there's like a perfect mechanism to like always be smashing big ones where i live there's about a three-week window where it sucks and it's right now but yeah, generally, dude, you can kind of mix up the lakes and strategies and always be on big fish. I mean, a big fish, like a six to eight, maybe a nine pounder. That's that's so, so badass. Um, do you remember your guys' first time, whether it was being out on the lake or launching the boat or, or trailer in the boat and seeing somebody else with a swim bait on their deck or watching them cast a swim bait? Do you remember that? Mm. I, if I do, I never noted it because we were already doing it. Right. Yeah. You know, so there was, I never saw anyone do it like at the lake where I was like mesmerized by the fact it was happening. Because if, if I saw someone doing it at that point in time, I was already like well aware. And like my reaction would have been like, well, damn, he's doing this too. What the heck is this? Yeah. Um, (laughs) You know what I I mean? Yeah. I guess, do you remember around that time? I'm too young, but did Facebook have like those big state fishing forums kind of like there is now like Michigan bass fishing? Like, was there stuff like that for Oregon at that time? Yeah, there was a, like an Oregon fishing forum and I was really into posting on that, especially in middle school. But once my interests became so much more like specified, I chose to go to more like specialized forums, you know? So like swim bait underground and nation and everything and then it was before facebook groups you know so like swim bait universe blew up and then that's a good resource um but that was more like i don't know maybe five years ago six years ago yeah i just i didn't know if you ever saw like just random people posting pictures and you're like oh my gosh that guy has an ms slammer in that picture like i've never seen this guy before no idea who he is like it's it's interesting to see yeah i mean a little bit there was a 
for whatever reason, the Oregon bass fishing scene is like the weakest scene in the world. Um, and, and the fishing's okay, but we have some really hard, like hardships here, like volatile water level changes. I mean, obviously the state's interested in preserving salmon in in the rivers and stuff and that's that's good but it's the same aspect like all my lakes fluctuate 100 feet they have no true bait fish so it's like a incredibly like turmoil filled lifestyle for these bass it really doesn't like accredit them getting super big obviously that's why the state record's 12 pounds yeah. and realistically dude our uh temperate is pretty like mild um, so we have the temperatures and really the water resources to grow teeners but that just it's too vicious the cycle you know um that being said washington has a pretty strong bass fishing scene and i do remember getting on the washington forums and seeing guys throwing big baits and there's one particular dude named tag watson who's like low-key ultra legendary washington angler who's caught multiple double digits and big six and seven pound smallmouth oh my god that's so crazy <laughs> yeah tag's super smart too so he me and him have always vibed really well because we can kind of break down like super complex ideas you know hell yeah dude and so once once you got out of that like big bass uh hunting phase like around 1920 did did you realize like head swim baits helped you like a lot, like learn these fish and stuff for tournament fishing. Did it help you break down water and break down how fish were setting up? Yeah, I think the first year I started fishing pro ams, like uh, my finishes were like decent. I wasn't like making a bunch of money or anything, but I was like in contention type deal and doing like generally like quote unquote well. Um, but I got like three big fish checks the first year I fished. And I was like, Damn, dude, like if I could just figure out how to catch two of these things, I could actually like win some money at these events instead of just getting a big fish check. Um, but kind of like I touched on earlier, how every fish is a swim bait fish. If it's an adult bass, it's a swim bait fish. Just whether or not it's in the mood to eat a swim bait is a totally different situation. Um, it helped me in all aspects of conventional fishing because I'm so much more studious with my casting and setting up the boat and my presentation um, and just lure selection. You know what I mean? Just a lot more. Um, I put in a ton of effort, dude. I mean, there's everyone says it, or at least they think it or whatever, but like they work hard and stuff like that. But I'm like, God, dude, I really don't know anybody who's like, yeah. especially mentally exerting much more effort than I am because it like consumes my whole life. Unfortunately, I uh, got a work call. You guys aren't familiar. Um, I work for a, uh, an apartment complex and I'm on call every other week. So I get calls when stuff gets broke. So we might get interrupted again. I don't know. It just depends on what the situation is at the complex. I didn't have to go down there. So who knows? But uh, Colby and I were talking about how his uh, how swim bait fishing and kind of what he learned transitioned into conventional fishing and more so like the tournament side of things. And he had just talked about how when he first started fishing like the AMs and stuff that he could catch that one big fish, but you know, he just needed one or two more good ones to kind of string together to, uh, to finish in the money. And how, how long did that go on for that, that you, I guess when you were catching for catching close to your limit, were you pulling out the big bait to try to, you know, try to finish it off or was it more of just catch the whole limit and then go back through and see if they would react to a swim bait? Yeah. I mean, uh, in practice periods and stuff, I was really leaning on the big baits, especially glides to show me a lot of fish. Um, so it was just kind of like the first year I was getting into fishing pro-ams, um, pretty uncomfortable, nervous. You know what I mean? I didn't like 
it sounds crazy, but I wasn't like fishing to win per se. I just wanted to kind of fit in and like test the waters. I mean, I'm, I had to like almost like learn to compete and be really ruthless because I love to fish. I love being out there. I love competing. I like everybody that yeah. does it. You know, I generally get along with people. I want to be social, you know, and I'm happy for people when they win, you know. So I kind of oh. like had to learn that like life and death, <laughs> you yeah. know. Uh, funny enough, just got another call. And hopefully that was the last phone call, the last interruption. I don't have to interrupt Colby as he's uh, as he's talking. And um, well, this is the second recap here already in the episode. Uh, Colby was talking about how you were you were kind of relying on glide baits to to be that little determining factor in practice. Was that to kind of find where these big fish were and how they were relating to you know structure or whatever it may be, or just kind of how they were setting up in general? Yeah, just uh, shows you a lot of big fish, cover a bunch of water, you know, throwing swim baits in big events and in practice periods, especially is getting like a lot more common you hear about now. Um, so that's something I started doing right out of the gate and it was showing me a bunch of fish. I was able to go back and catch whether they bit the glide or a lot of times I catch them on like a six inch Senko or whatever, you know, just the ultimate location giver. Yeah. Were you taking hooks off of your bait? Were you scared that maybe you were going to catch? you know, one of these two, one or two of these good fish during practice on accident, or was that nothing that you were ever really worried about? Uh, I mean, I would, if they were really going for it, you know, I'd take it off. I remember I fished a tournament at, um, Lake Murray, actually, ironically, and a whole other side of the country. Um, but they were like, so gung ho to eat a swim bait. I was like, this is a problem, <laughs> you know, so I had to take hooks off. But a lot of times out here, I can just make a little shorter casts, you know, and, uh, I don't want to alter the action of the bait too much. Cause I want to throw it in a way that like, you know, they might actually go eat in the tournament. So what I'll do is I'll cut the hooks right at the barb. Mm -hmm. Right. So they're just not pointy, but I don't change the weight too much. I'm not huge on like totally removing hooks or bending them. Cause it seems like if I bend a hook fish still somehow gets hooked and if i take the hooks off i'm throwing a different action than what i will in the event so i just clip off the the pointy part of the hook right at the the barb and then uh go from there so even if they hit it i don't they don't usually get hooked at uh that tournament you were talking about practice fishing and the fish were kind of just annihilating the glide were you able to replicate that glide bait during the actual tournament and catch them doing that so that event actually was about 10 years ago or more and um we weren't able to it was a high school national and i fished with my buddy i mentioned before jacob wall um and uh they provided us a boat dude and uh it just uh there was boat issues right someone yeah. went out of their way to take their time and let us use their equipment and get us out on the water but there was some inherent issues that impeded us from pretty much duplicating anything <laughs> anything that day and uh, we did weigh in swim bait fish in that event but we we were not able to really get on what i had got on in practice which was in practice i was in like a aluminum rental boat with like a 25 horse hand till so that was kind of wild west you know what i mean <laughs> look at spots on my couch in oregon and then fly across the country with a tube full of rods and rent a boat and go practice and smack big ones it was cool was that the year that you guys finished runner-ups is that that year yeah 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 we got At, second in the high school national. I fished high school fishing for one year. So that was my one and done high school did, fishing career. The people who win it, did they go on to be like anybody that, that we would know, like big name guys? Uh, yeah, dude. There was, um, 
Oh, dude, I can't remember one of their names, but the other dude's name's Dawson Lens. And, dude, he just won a tournament on Gunnersville with, like, a nine-pound swim bait fish, um, like, last week. Damn. Um, so it was so crazy because back then I remember he was hitting us up like, oh, dude, you're from the West Coast and you guys are throwing swim baits and you weighed in swim bait fish. And I'm so interested in that. And I mean, we have like been super tight, but we, you know, message back and forth and like each other's stuff on Facebook or whatever. And Dawson's a good dude. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure he won like a, he might have won a boat or something like something pretty sick. Damn, dude, that's pretty crazy. Week ago. Um, yep. Fun fact, I know the I know the guy, no, of the guy. Um, I haven't really talked to him, but I, I, him and I talk a little bit. And he, uh, he graduated and fishes with some of the guys who I fish with down here. He won the uh, the co angler MLF a couple weeks ago out on uh, Chickamauga, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, dude. No, it's awesome to see dudes. Uh, you know, especially people you know do good in tournaments. Like, um, I don't know if the you or the listeners caught it, but um, last week the Bass Pro Tour was on Gunnersville. And my best bud, Jacob Wall, finished second to Jacob Wheeler. And Jacob Wall was catching him on a KGB uh, legend. So he's on live, dude, on whatever they stream their live platform on, just sticking six-pounders on a nine-inch glide. I guess it's more like an eight-inch glide, but you catch my drift, dude. That's pretty sick to see, like, the highest-level tournament bass fishing, have a grassroots, West Coast, swim bait kid, just thrashing big ones on Gunnersville, you know, so that's pretty tight. And so what was it like being able to watch somebody, you know, be able to whack fish on a big swim bait and, and just absolutely dominate a tournament, especially somebody that you grew up with doing that same thing with in Oregon at home. Like, was that just a surreal experience? Oh yeah, dude. It was, uh, I mean, gives me goosebumps, you know, it's, uh, typically when one of my really good buddies is fishing on live, you know, I've, try to watch as much of it as i can i'm cheering on and stuff but you know that was super sick especially like getting second to jacob wheeler i mean dude come on that's that's a tough mark to to beat so him and wheeler going at it was pretty awesome and it's inspiring too you know we grew up fishing together and it's always been both of our goals to go fish full time so he's definitely beat me to the punch but that's that's my goal next year i plan to fish uh the toyota series out here and hopefully qualify to go fish the tour and then just start going up the ranks, dude. You know, I've been trying to figure out the financial aspect of things. Um, that's the hardest thing. It's, it's taken me the better part of 10 years to figure out the financial side of becoming a professional bass fisherman. Um, and then, uh, you know, but I get closer every year and I'm not giving up anytime soon. So, um, you know, we're making it happen. I got, I purchased my first new boat this year. So that was awesome. A big step in the right direction. So yeah, it's, it's all going good and can't wait to be fishing with my bro again here in a couple of years, hopefully. That's so cool, man. And yeah, they, they don't make it easy. What is it like the opens you have to fish like a, a handful of events? Like even if you qualify, you have to fish a minimum amount of events to be able to qualify for like the classic or you know, for the elites, it's something ridiculous, like, like five out of the eight events or nine events or something like that. Yeah. It's, I think you have to fish all nine now, dude. Oh my God. In, in terms of the elite series. So, um, unfortunately dude, qualifying from the elite series from out West is like a very, um, difficult journey. So I can't just quit my job and go fish nine opens. There's just, it's just impossible. I wouldn't be able to fund that, you know? Um, so you could go through the Bass Nation, but the Bass Nation's difficult because you essentially have to qualify for the state team. 
um, win your state team at the regional and then go to the national and then essentially win that um, to get any sort of real progress. Or I think maybe a top three, but regardless, it's a lot of work and a lot of travel, which it all is. But So I'm probably going to fish the Toyota Series, which will get me to the Tackle Warehouse Pro Circuit and then eventually can hopefully get a top... 10 or so in points and then get the invite to the Bass Pro Tour. And then, uh, you know, if, if I were to make the Bass Pro Tour and be comfortable there and then wanted to fish the Elite Series someday or whatever, you know, I'd love to. Um, but yeah, I just know that's my first step is Toyota Series qualify, get off the West Coast, you know. Yeah. Is it weird to see like swim baits become so popular in all these tournament trails? And like, dude, by popular, I mean like it's it's not uncommon to see somebody with a kgb or with a clutch or with a bull shad like i mean every like all these guys have a swim bait stick is that something kind of interesting for you to see growing up doing it and it being like a low-key thing um to some degree you know what i mean i think that the advent of live scope and live sonar i guess that boosted a lot of guys confidence they're able to get real-time interactions with these fish and see like wow they're really receptive to this gives them confidence to kind of start trying to like peel the skin back off the the orange and kind of see what's inside their type of deal but um yeah i mean no surprise it makes sense to me because i've kind of done it for so long you know what's weird to me is the amount of freaking baits on the market now i don't even know what half the things are that you named off <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah, i do yeah. but it's just like geez dude every time i open up social media i'm like what in the heck is that bait i'm a big fan of uh of berkeley's new stuff that, that <laughs> I, don't know, <laughs> I don't know if you've been uh keeping up with that but dude. that's interesting they'll just kind of say that <laughs> yeah yeah as soon as the bait blows up dude everybody puts their hand in it i mean for what it's worth the coal shad actually seems pretty cool i guess just you know, I, I, there's some guys I fished with Josh Bertrand before and he's behind that bait and endorsing it. And it seems like pretty solid. Plus seeing it fished on live. Like, I think those guys were at Norman, mm -hmm. um, and a couple guys caught some fish and then it, um, red crest. I don't, yeah. One of those ones. It's, I think it's yeah. a little hint at Norman and then they were all pretty much running it at the next one. I can't remember where it was, but yeah, it was cool to see, but some of the other baits I'm like, you know, not as super hyped for um there's that soft glide right and i don't i'm no. not really in a position to get into like politics but yeah yeah <laughs> of it but dude the um i will give somebody credit where it's due that grow design works the flag 55 um, yeah dude i'm the i'm so terrible at marketing products because i'm so like tight-lipped i hate posting about them but i've been throwing the grow design Works stuff for about two years and i feel like a kind of a pos because like, you know, I should be helping this guy market. He seems like a super nice guy, but I've been really tight-lipped about it. But that's a sick bait. When I first started throwing it, it's probably like, I was convinced it was like the best bait I've ever fished in my life, you know? Dude, that, that is flag 255. Bait. There was one morning I got two sevens, a 932, and dumped like a, I don't know, a, a heavy, heavy double. Um, one of the best swim bait days I've had in a long time was on that 255 last year damn dude that so, is that's wicked yeah that that's my karma to the universe everybody go buy flag 255s because that's a, <laughs> he's a good dude dude seems super nice he was responsive to social media you know what i mean so seems like a low-key bait maker in japan so support that guy 
Yeah, and I, I have mean, no affiliation. You know, besides, I'm just a freaking sneaky kid who's been throwing it like <laughs> without telling anyone for a long time. <laughs> yeah, Andy just came out with that that little gill. I think 170. Like, I bet yeah. you that it's gonna be killer too. Yeah, dude, that thing looks freaking awesome. You know, when I fished that flag 255, since we're talking about it, um, a lot of guys slow glide it, but I kind of pump my rod and I actually get a really tight S motion out of it. Just really kind of like a trout slinking along, dude, and they just come out of the woodwork and smoke that thing interesting man i know uh grady cod's been catching a lot of freaking fish on it down in texas like so yeah. many fish yeah and I've, everyone was posting about it and every time i see it i'm like no please no but no dude yeah. it's it's time for that guy to blow up man so yeah i think uh dude i don't know it's always super weird to have a garage guy build a very special bait and then see um a a, uh, a big name company um take heavy inspiration from it and nobody nobody knows that that wasn't their original thought that they played this off played off this idea of somebody else and it's just that's like the worst thing i think to to see you know um a company uh make a bait very similar to the to the flag 255 and nobody knows who who growth work designs is unless you're a swim bait guy and kind of have been around for a little bit or poke around i mean they, people think that this company came up with this bait and that's just, you know, we'll, we'll not say not true, but kind of probably far from the, far from the truth. Yeah. Yeah. My best friend has a, a tackle company, you know, and he's got innovative products and processes and he really makes the best of his category. Right. I'm actually sitting in his workshop right now. Um, and I've seen him go through it on like a really personal, like my best friend type basis. And, yeah. um, you know, one thing I've learned from him and one thing that he's always kind of like represented is like, you know, the, the worst thing I could do is have a reaction. You know what I mean? So really what I'm going to do is keep, keep marketing, keep pushing, keep making the best thing that I can make, make sure it's available and just have really superior customer service and just be like a down to earth and good person, a good person in the industry. And, you know, dude, it's, it's worked for him. Like it's, he's become very successful just pushing his lures and super sick so you know i guess as an angler you know it's kind of our job to to market some of these products for these people and let the cards fall where they may you know what i mean hopefully he can maintain uh standard business you know and uh, continue to grow dude yeah man it's super cool to see guys maybe not necessarily that like you knew since the beginning but like that you bought baits from when they were small, when they had like a thousand or 2000 followers. And just to see them like blossom and blow up, that is such a crazy cool thing. And it's even cooler. Like if you talk to them, like if you were like one of the first guys catching fish with their baits or, or what have you, like that is a super cool thing to see somebody that, you know, kind of, um, become popular and, and just grow. That's so cool. Oh dude, it's, it's the best thing ever. You know what I mean? To have, gotten these friendships and then they blow up so big that you have to like hit them up and be like hey bro can i buy a lure please yeah <laughs> please you know so yeah it's 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 super good to see man and the industry is so strong you know yeah man sorry i'm looking through questions here uh da, 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 da. so you talked about fishing um the apex pro tour and then what was the other one you said you fish yeah, the Wild West Bass Trail, they have pro-ams, so just like a standard pro and co, um, not team format. And then I'll fish like regional bass, B-A-S-S stuff, and then next year we're going all all in on uh, 
Toyota series. So like that's major league fishing, um, out West. Yeah. And so what's the Toyota series kind of set up? Like what's their, what's their tournament schedule? Like as far as, does it all happen within like a three month span or does it happen throughout the season or kind of what's it going to look like for you next year? Yeah. So the Toyota series is the feeder circuit to essentially the tackle warehouse pro circuit so if you've been watching bass fishing forever that's the flw tour right it's all renamed rebranded new ownership the whole nine but that's what it is it's a national circuit once you get there so out west um it's been named a few things strand series everstart series you know a couple different things but it's just a pro-am circuit out here consists of three events typically um they tend to be done by like june but they're um they're probably like 1800 entry events around that ballpark uh, pro and co style and they have a championship and the championship is actually one of the biggest events in the nation um kyle hall won it last year and i think he got like 200 grand 235 grand something like that so it's a huge event um but essentially it's the only way to get onto the major league fishing uh tackle warehouse pro circuit which would be like a national professional bass fishing circuit um, as far as lakes out here, typically they start in the desert. So like Lake Havasu, and then they usually mix in the Delta and I'm sure they'll go to Clear Lake. I would hope next year because, uh, a lot of our lakes out here had a bad drought, Clear Lake included. So some big circuits kind of dodged them this year, but we, man, we got the rain and we're going to have a really, really good next couple years because we got so much surplus of water. It's actually raining right now, which is awesome in June. Dang, dude. Yeah, we have, you know, other side of the coin, we have not gotten much rain here at all. It's just been absolutely crazy. And and that's how you guys were, what, like two years ago? Like didn't last dude. year, you guys had some crazy, crazy rain. And then same with this spring, right? You guys just got pounded with water. Yeah, really, for, for the Northwest and most of California, it like straight up barely rained for like three years, you know? So 2019 was kind of tail end of like, you know, big surplus of water and man, it just 2020, 2021, 2022, it was just like complete drought year. Terrible, dude. I mean, like I had lakes that were down single digit percentages. They got water in them this year. I've just been able to launch my boat again. And I can tell that the whole ecosystem like reset, you know, when you take a reservoir that might be 2000 acres and you drain it down to like 500 acres and leave it there for three years, that fishery, you know, essentially reassigns itself to be a 500 acre fishery it just doesn't yeah. have the water volume so now we're chasing around 500 acres worth of fish and 2,000 acres worth of water and it's like a little bit of a problem and the fish kind of got smaller and they weren't eating trout as consistent so uh we'll have issues but you know we're blessed in the meantime to have the water i guess so we got something to put our boats in at least damn dude and kind of looping it back to swim baits here and then we can kind of touch back on the tournament stuff before we wrap it up um so anybody who who doesn't follow you on instagram i mean dude you you post a lot a lot of good really really good fish and um i was i was told to to ask you about that biggest spot you caught a couple years ago on a swim bait and um so what was that story and kind of how did that set up yeah um so yeah that big spot in 2016 um in april I had about a week off work and went down to Northern California and just kind of was going to take a little like fun trip and just go explore and just go where we were going to go and not really have a plan and just go fish. And, uh, me and one of my good buds, Danny went down there and, um, I'll say it kind of short. I've, some people may be aware, but if not, I caught that spot. It was a 10.30. Um, at the time it was 
just it was eight one hundredths of a pound smaller than Tim Little, who had the world record. So I weighed wow. it on a certified scale. Luckily, I was able to have a guy named Paul Young, who's like an incredible spear fisherman and good big bait fisherman too. Um, he spear fishes for like carp and striper and stuff, and he goes to Pampian Phipps and everything. Pretty awesome, good dude. Um, but anyways, he was able to weigh that fish, and uh, she bit a Gancraft two thirty, and um. Yeah, just a big Northern California fish. I kept her under wraps. You know, I've kind of like been my own worst enemy in terms of like not really like chasing. I don't want to say glory, but like, you know, I I just hate the idea of like using fish or a fishery to like exacerbate my own like following or whatever. Not that there's anything against that. I just have like a dilemma of doing it. That's why I like never hang baits and stuff either. I need to get more like open with that because I think people would be more receptive to following me if i actually provided them with something (laughs) instead of just freaking my mug up there holding the fish but yeah dude she was a huge pre-spawn fish um she was in a wolf pack of about maybe six or eight fish all the rest of them were like eight plus pounders and she followed the day before really half-heartedly followed the glide and i turned to danny and i was like dude like i swear that fish that followed me was a 10 and um he's like yeah dude, i really think it was too and i was like dude i think it's a spot and he's like you know it did kind of look kind of like a spot really white belly sticking out on the sides and some really prominent black markings so um the next day we fished a different lake for half the day and then we have to drive by the particular lake i caught that giant at in order to get back into town and as we were driving by the lake i was like dude the wind is just perfect it was high pressure which is not ideal like very cold 45 degree day maybe and it was blowing like 30 40 miles an hour and um post frontal it snowed a few days before and i went back to where i saw that fish and just took a lot of time to set the boat up um just kind of like didn't touch a trolling motor as i wind drifted into her we checked our drag i put a lot of scent on my bait and i was throwing a pretty modified gangcraft 230 and that just means i shaved the joint and made sure it was just balanced just right and weighted correctly and swapped the hooks and uh it was just a really tricked out uh jointed claw had a really wide glide and i was very accustomed to fishing it i guess like comfortable you know sometimes you throw a glide out and you don't know if it's gliding left or right or how far type deal but this one i was very very well well versed with and um yeah dude just uh threw it out there and the first cast i didn't get bit and second cast same thing third cast fourth cast and on the fourth or fifth cast i threw in there and just let it sink a little bit deeper and it was kind of like somebody walked up behind me and just kind of really like gently tapped on my shoulder dude swung into that fish and i just instantly started screaming dude like that's her that's her you know and uh super long fight she boiled on the surface and i you know i knew it was that fish or one of her cohorts which were all giant giant spotted bass and she dove down to the bottom a couple times and finally after the second time dude i'm like borderline having a heart attack um i tell danny i'm like bro the next time this fish comes up i'm either going to try to swing her or you're going to net her. And I said, I promise you, I won't get that fish in the boat if I have to swing it. Cause it was just hooked on the back hook Oh my and, God. uh, got her up dude. And just kind of like laid the pins to her and right us, you know, she's about to come up to the surface. He puts the net under her and I'll never forget when he set her on the deck of the boat, dude. I mean, she set like eight inches up off the deck of the boat. Cause she was so insanely fat, you know? And, um, put her in the live well and she barely fit just because the proportions of her were so freaking nuts dude um and then called a couple people the first person i called was um was matt allen because him and tim had just caught that giant at a different lake 
and I said, Hey man, do you know anybody who has resources up here? You know, where I'm at, mm -hmm. um, I think this fish is as big as Tim's. It might even be bigger. So I weighed it on a Rapala or a Berkeley scale back then. And it was 10 pounds, six ounces, which, you know, IGFA, I think goes off ounces, but 10 pounds, six ounces is 10 point, I don't know, three, zero or whatever, 10.25. So it was within enough that I was like, this could be the world record spot right now. So I had to get someone with a certified like decimal scale. And it turns out she was, yeah, eight one hundredths of a pound short. And, uh, it was sick. Cause I got to take Paul out there and it's like, he was super familiar with, and we got to go release her together. And, you know, that was kind of that story in a nutshell, kind of condensed. There's a really long version of that story. I did a podcast with Oliver a few months ago. So if somebody wanted to hear like the 20 minute rundown, yeah, yeah, <laughs> then by all means, go check that out. But for sake of, you know, being redundant, that's the short gist in case someone had never heard the story, but yeah, dude, that was a beautiful fish. Totally amazing, dude. So, so fortunate to have been able to connect with that one particularly. Did that kind of get I mean, when, when somebody catches a very, you know, highly respectable fish, it gets blown up on like Facebook and stuff. Did you, you know, was there any coverage on it or did you keep it pretty low key and not post about it much? Yeah. So I sent it to maybe like five key individuals in my life or fishing at that point in time. Right. And, um, it had gotten leaked and I don't even, you know, obviously I don't care who leaked it, especially not now, but the Marina posted it and i straight up wrote the marina and i was like hey you guys don't have permission to use my photo take it down or you know there's i'm gonna have an issue like i don't want to be on your page yeah and i mean dude that's kind of like a testament to like the commitment of not like extorting these fish for fame which i'm kind of in the market of doing a little bit because i fish tournaments and <laughs> and you know need followers and need the, the things to make the spokes go around you know yeah make the wheel turn but um yeah dude that's kind of like my background a little bit i just don't love i don't love filming myself that much i don't you know i don't really care a ton about pictures but i have to i love sharing my passion for fishing so i did start filming again uh recently so i'm gonna try to get some content how or you know when i convince myself to release that stuff is another story you know but i I do plan to because there's some pretty good bites i get on that are like i think people would enjoy watching it and learning from it maybe you know but yeah for sure. yeah it didn't super duper blow up i mean after a while i got pretty open with it maybe a year after a few months after you know and i've talked about it a lot and it's it's been featured some but yeah nothing crazy dude and it's i'm okay with that you know yeah is there any other kind of one or two fish that stick out as much as that one, like a story or an experience that would stick out with you, you know, for the next 50 years that you can think of that you had an experience with swim baits. Um, um, it's, it's more so days, you know what I mean? Like I've just yeah. had days with a swim bait that are like, I mean, it just to, to pin it to individual fish is tough. I mean, there's giant fish that stick out in my mind, like catching that first double digit on that weedless HUD is huge. You know, um, I caught a 1052, uh, three years ago on a hog hunter and, uh, I was fishing for smallmouth actually at one of these local lakes. Cause there was a really big one that was caught and I was just trying to catch her. You know, she's, she was getting close to state record size smallmouth. So like a heavy seven. Uh, almost eight pounder and i just man i want that fish so bad drives me crazy um so i was chasing her but yeah i caught a 1052 that was that's a huge oregon fish it was in the fall too so 
that fish has like mega potential to be a a 12 in the spring so that was pretty cool to put hands on her and then uh i caught a double digit on a punker before that was that was super sick dude that was one of the most fun and cool experience but i flipped it too like i didn't um i had been throwing a punker a bunch that summer and i kept dumping fish like not giants but some nice ones dude like ones you want you want to land sixes and sevens and eights you don't want to dump them i kept dumping them at the boat dude. i was like oh my god dude like what the hell so i hooked up on that one she blew up pretty small just came up and got the punker off the surface and it was one of those like photo finish like the or the pink cheeked trout he came out with like five six years ago mm-hmm. i was throwing that one dude and she just sucked it off the surface and swung into her and i was like okay cool and i thought she was like an eight pounder i flipped her and i was like oh shit dude this is a giant you know yeah and uh she was huge and she had a 14 inch uh bullhead catfish still in her mouth dude so she had my punker crossways across her mouth and then like a catfish tail coming out underneath it it was like the most carnage thing i've ever seen so that was super sick dude and then one time i caught a a 9-1 and i took my sister with me my little sister I was like still a teenager and I was like, Hey, do you want to go to the lake? I don't have gas money, but I'll take you with me if, if you kick me 20 bucks. So <laughs> I freaking hit my little sister up for gas money when I was a teenager and we went to the lake and she saw me catch a nine one on a punker. That was super sick too. Um, yeah, dude. And then just all the days I've had over 30 pounds throwing a swim bait and all the big smallmouth. I caught a 626 smallmouth last week on a topwater swim bait, and that was like pretty high, you know? Yeah, dude, that's a tank. That's like, yeah. that's a big ass. Especially big on ass the surface, dude. I've been throwing subsurface baits for years, trying to like trophy smallmouth are kind of like my jam. I just love them so much. <laughs> um, and they're unique, and there's so few guys catching and targeting truly giant smallmouth with swim baits. So it's kind of like a little niche that I just like to exist in. And, uh, yeah, dude, the fact that fish came up on the surface is like freaking nutty. Yeah, dude, that is, that's badass. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I quit the tournament circuit. I fish, they don't allow us to use nets. So I quit using nets. So it's like, that's another kind of fun twist on things. I was throwing a clash nine last week and I dumped three over six trying to flip them all. So that was a shit show, but it's fun. Do you, I guess, what's your take on the net thing? Do you understand why they do it to add like a challenge into it? Or I guess since I don't, I don't fish tournaments, I guess I don't really know the backstory of why that's a thing. What, what, what have, what's your experience been with that? And what do you, yeah, dude, it's a hundred percent based off of viewership. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. when I'm watching say a tournament on the St. Lawrence river, right? They're up there wrangling like six and seven pound smallmouth in the elite series. And I see this like seven pound Brown missile go four feet in the air and just you hear it belly flop on the water. And you know, that guy's got it on like six or seven pound fluorocarbon. He's got to try to, dude. I'm sitting there on my couch, like chewing my fingernails off. Yeah. You know, and then, then he's got to go down there and somehow belly it. So that's all it is. And I totally get it, dude. I mean, like it's, when a guy's fishing in like an old school FLW tournament, he just goes and nets this fish. It's like, that was kind of like, it didn't build up to this super dramatic moment. So if I was the power that be in a tournament organization and in my main objective was media, there's no way I would let my anglers use a net dude. Just for that reason alone. I get it, dude. It's nets are super nice, but they're a crutch. And you know, when I first started fishing, no net formats, like I sucked. 
dude, I didn't know how to grab fish, but now it's like super chill. And I'm like 10 times better at fighting fish mm -hmm. presently, just because I'm like so much more relaxed and tactical when they get close to the boat than like just diving for the net, like a freak. Yeah. You right. Know? But then I say that and I just dumped three big swim bait fish the other day when I went out. So eh. I wish I had a net that day, I guess kind of. Yeah. And I always feel like you see horror stories with nets. I mean, like guys have accidentally hook a rod to the net or, you know, whatever it may be. The net's not in the same exact spot every single time. And they fumble around and they lose the fish because the fish is boat side flopping around where in reality they could go down and belly grab it or go down and lip it or, you know, use the momentum when they're dragging it in to flip it or whatnot. So, you know, I could, I can definitely understand why, like, I, I don't, all, a lot of the fish, like if I'm fishing out of a bass boat, I don't hardly net any of them. I just flip them in because that just seems to be the easiest thing most times. Yeah, hundred percent, dude. I mean, there's that. I can't remember what organization it is. I think it might have been like honestly, like Bass Champs or something. Um, but they had a an intro, dude, and there was a dude who hung like a giant fish, eight plus pounder or something, like on a crankbait on his net, and the fish just gets caught on it and just shakes and rips the crankbait out of his face, and it's gone forever. And he's like crying, you know. So that's like that if he landed that fish, no one would have cared, dude. But he lost that fish in the net, and it just is like a nostalgic moment that's been replayed a thousand times, you know. So I don't know. everything has its own value, I guess. Yeah, dude, that's, oh my gosh, that is, um, that's crazy. That's, that's so sad to think about. Damn, dude. And I guess what, what's your best experience, um, with fishing tournaments, whether it's with a swim bait or not, what's, what has that been for you? Um, I just fished, uh, in April, they had a tournament called the Western Bass Shootout and they kind of like hyped it up for like a couple years as this huge event dude and um in hindsight god dude that event was so sick it was um held out of downtown sacramento in like a big convention center so we were fishing the california delta and we launched about an hour away from the center so we'd go fish till 2 p.m go take our fish to weigh in weigh them at the boat uh the geez the launch ramp Mm -hmm. And we take our two best fish and drive them with a, like an escort vehicle, like right. Police flasher type vehicle back into Sacramento, towing our boats. And then we do a drive through weigh in kind of like they do with the classic, you know, weigh in song and stuff in front of yeah. an arena full of people. And you hold up your two best fish and just say, you know, how your day went and just being part of that sort of history on the West. That's probably the highlight of my tournament career. Damn. You know, um, I think top prize is like $156,000. So it was a huge event out here. Um, and it was 50 of the top guys. So, you know, I got to fish against almost all the guys I wanted to fish against, right? As a tournament right, angler, yeah. you want to fish against the best, right? Or at least when you start to get to a certain point, like I want to fish against the best period. That's like what gets me off. That's my favorite thing. So, um, it was sick fish. Well, in the event, um, I caught swim bait fish in that event too. And then some, uh, some big giant spinnerbait fish caught an almost an eight pounder on a spinnerbait. That was cool. But yeah, dude, just that, just being part of the history of it. You know, there was another tournament, um, up on the Columbia river, which is like a super daunting place, right? Like it'll eat you alive. Plus it's like somewhat technical to fish. And, um, I was leading that one after the first couple of days going into day three. And that was a pretty high feeling, you know, and then choked on the last day, but it's all good, but it was just thick to be there, you know? So yeah, times like that are, are probably the highlights, you know, the most memorable. 
Yeah. Did your eight on a spinnerbait on the Delta that uh, get big fish or anything? Yeah, well, it got a big fish check. And I think the big fish checks for that event were pretty massive, dude. I want to say that was like a $2,000 fish Damn. or something. Just And I caught it like two in the afternoon, high outgoing tide on a spinnerbait and swung into her. And it just like, I felt like I set into a rock. I was like, damn, that was a weird place for a rock. And then it shook. I was like, oh, shit. It's a fishy then, rock. Yeah yeah dude gotta go go bend down and lippers so that was pretty pretty nuts but super super huge emotional roller coaster dude i loved every minute of that and then yeah dude fished uh final championship sunday in that event which is tight because the delta is kind of a pain in the ass to to go fish well on if you're not a local there's so many moving parts literally that it's just a lot to digest, but it's cool to have learned a fishery like that and have had some good finishes there coming from Oregon. I mean, that's pretty, pretty difficult. Yeah, dude, I, I don't really even understand the Delta. It's like, it's like brackish water. So the tide moves in and out with the ocean, right? Essentially. Yeah. I think it's like every six hours or something, you know, low tide, high tide. And then, um, most of the water we fish in the deltas, it's just fresh water, but there is some brackish water. And it's the thing is, it's huge, dude. I think it's got like a couple thousand miles of navigable waterways, you know, to go through. And this year we got those huge floods. So most of it was really not playing. So it was kind of like really finding the needle in the haystack, just to even find an environment that was like full of fish or even had any fish. Yeah. You know, and there's the other thing is there's sea lions everywhere. So that's, dude, and they ravage the bass. It's like a big problem. That's, that's interesting. I didn't even, I wouldn't have even thought about that. I mean, that's. Yeah. And like, there's a lot, dude. Like every slough seems like has a freaking 14 foot and not like, not like, like not a seal, dude. I'm like a sea lion. Like, (laughs) I don't know how much they weigh, dude, but they're like Volkswagen size. Yeah, dude. I remember Marshall was fishing out somewhere on his paddleboard for calico and at the beginning of this video it's this huge ass sea lion sitting on this big ass floating buoy and i was like damn that thing's like like well 14 foot tall i don't even know how wide yeah. it was. It was like job of the hut or something i'm like wow that thing's massive dude i just like imagine accidentally hitting one because like how can they dodge a boat going 70 you know like what would happen everything blows up yeah, it's like it's like hitting a moose in like a smart car. I mean, dude, they're huge, dude. They're literally so big. I can't believe it. And they just they'll just go. The thing that blows my mind is they'll just crash through a tule berm. It's like a thousand pound giant freaking water beast shooting through a tule berm in four feet of water, just eating spawning largemouth. It's the worst. Dude, that is crazy. I didn't even know that they that they were that much of a of a just bass craze animal as far as like yeah yeah they love them dude i mean like it's almost like a preferred diet it seems like it's like the worst thing ever and there's there's more and more every year you know i saw the first one uh in 2018 when i fished on there i only saw one you know and then at the western shootout i saw like 40 dude i mean could you imagine hooking a bass and one of those fuckers coming up and eating it when you're fighting it yeah oh dude guys do it like that's that's like a real thing down there. It's like, hopefully they can find some sort of 
solution. And then, um, you know, the state will uh, poison a lot of the grass and stuff too, because most of the grass in the Delta is invasive or, mm. you know, at least problematic in some capacity. And I understand that, but they are really aggressive in like pelleting the grass which ends up killing it. So it's, it's the Delta is just tough, not just because the tide, but because of the organic chemistry issues that the pelleting brings on. Plus the natural predators that are present that just desecrate the freaking bass population in certain areas. That's so wicked. I, I mean, I, you see all these guys talk about fishing it and it's just a very, it's just a very, foreign thing for me to think about up here in michigan of, of yeah. sea lions chasing down my fish or, or <laughs> seriously dude hide going in and out yep it's totally different man but yeah it's nuts but the west and northern california dude i think it has the best fishing in the world pretty much i mean honestly the, yeah, you can go I, to some private pond and catch like 40 fish but like in terms of quality and size and uh you know interesting ecosystems it's really tough to beat you know shasta and clear lake and the delta and all that yeah i want to just go out there and i don't know about like i would love to fish don't get me wrong but i just want to see what these places set up and set up like and just kind of go through and look at at what these fish are relating to and stuff because it is like our lakes here are just you know, bowls that have sand bottoms and, you know, you find one log or you find a little risen island or something, you're, you're going to find fish. And so I'm just very intrigued on, on fish and tule lines and, and underwater points and stuff like that. It's very intriguing to me. Yeah. All the lakes are super different too. I mean, you have a lake like Shasta, that's a giant reservoir has five major, major tributaries that feed into it. So that's five rivers coming in, you know, so that's their own ecosystem, its own food source, temperature subjective to flooding and current and things and then you know it's a big earthen lake with main lake structural elements like points and humps and rocks and then you drive two and a half hours and you're at clear lake which is like the oldest natural lake in the country or at least in california it's like millions of years old and uh it's kind of like a mix it has structural elements like uh lava type of effect you know big chunk rock craggy banks and things but a ton of grass um ton of weed lines tulies and then you go to the delta which is like almost exclusively man-made granted it is rivers meeting at the ocean which is totally natural but in terms of it being made out of levees generally and flooded islands it's totally man-made you know and then just full of grass and current tidal driven you know so you get a huge variety i think that's why the guys who make it from the west are pretty successful when they get out on tours because they're really well versed in a lot of situations you know yeah yeah and Oh, what was I going to, oh, for, for your tournaments, how do you go about, I guess a lot of your stuff's been on the, on the West coast, but how do you go about like fishing new water? So if it was, you know, on a lake in NorCal that you're not familiar with, how do you kind of pick it apart as a tournament guy? Do you go a week early or like a couple weeks early and fish it a few times before that official week of practice? Or how do you kind of pick it, pick a new body of water apart? Yeah. So if, if it's like a pro-am, you know, I'll try to go in advance and practice, but most of the apex events, they don't allow us to practice, um, at all. There's at least a 30 day off limits. And most of them are far. Do you live in Oregon, like a short commute to an event to me is like seven hours. So every lake is by no means a home lake or I'm not even familiar. Most of them, I've never even been there. I'll fish the event. I just launched my boat two minutes ago. 
So in terms of prep um, from home, you know, it's uh, multiple factors. I mean, the first one seasonality, you know, so I'm going to look at what season are we going into, whether it's late winter, spring transition, spring, summer transition, summer to fall, fall to winter. Right. And then I'll consider, is it just straight up summer pattern, straight up spring pattern? Right. So I'm kind of like dissecting it from that matter you know obviously if it's any time around the spring i'm looking for the major spawning flats and stuff like that if it's any time in the winter i'm looking for the major creek channels you know and then i'm just kind of going to use process of elimination to kind of decide which ones are going to be the most high percentage areas and then i'll just go fish baits and patterns that are reminiscent of the season so i can do a lot of research at home and usually can be pretty pretty accurate you know having bass fish for 25 years it's like okay could be kind of this plus or minus and a lot of times i hit the nail pretty pretty good right square on the head and a lot of times i i do miss the nail sometimes <laughs> but you know generally can get a pretty close idea of where i need to go and what i need to be doing you know if it's june i'm going to start the day throwing top water and if it's december i'm probably just going to start the day you know whether throwing a swim bait or maybe a rig or something and they should be choked up pretty good schooled up on creek channels and living the the low effort life of wintertime bass you know yeah, man, it it's interesting. So, do you like do you um, look at topo maps, topo maps and stuff, and kind of pin them out, and then kind of go from there? I guess like if you're going out to the lake, like you'll pick a handful of spots that you think are set first, like primary spots to fish, and then fall back onto secondary spots and stuff like that. Yeah, so I have like a bunch of different mapping apps, so. On my phone, I just got like your standard like Apple Maps. I got Google Earth, Google Maps, Bing Maps. I have uh, C Map on my Lowrance, um unit, at least on my last boat. I used to look at that a bunch. And then I have the Humminbird app on my phone for mapping. And I also have Fishbrain. And all of those tend to have different levels of um, historical water level in terms of imagery. Mm, right. Yeah, so yeah. if it's a satellite image, it's got different water levels. So between using all those resources, I can get a really good idea of the lake and the lake cycles, um, kind of like what the water level presents at different times. And then I can get some good topography. And then um, I run all Garmin units on my boat so I can sit in the boat and look at maps and, and things like that, different color contours and stuff as well. So mapping's huge to me. And then I can look at reports and things. Um, Honestly, dude, I look at the hashtags on Instagram a bunch. They'll say hashtag Lake Shasta, you know, and I yeah, kind of can yeah. get an idea. Like, is any old Jamoke catching them or is it like these kind of local hammers are catching them? Is the bite tough? You know, did Sally catch a four pounder on a minnow right, at the yeah. marina? <laughs> you know what I mean? So just I, I use every single resource I possibly can. It could be old media that's been recorded, old tournament results, tournament reports, fishing reports, uh, topography and mapping is huge to me. Um, and then obviously seasonality. And then I'll look a little bit into kind of maybe if there's some local pictures that have been posted and then just go from there, man. I will say, uh, Navionics is like such a clutch app for, for topo, like yep. looking at topos and stuff. Yeah, I have that one too. I don't know if I mentioned it, but I have everything, like everything that I've ever identified that I could look at a fishery and gain some knowledge off of is exactly what I have. Yeah, I feel like there's no shortage of stuff. Like you, you said fish brain, and, and guys might laugh at that, but I mean, dude, I won't lie. I, I downloaded fish brain when I moved to this new area, and I was like, okay, where the hell are people? Where are their fish at? At least, or where oh, can I dude, see that a lot of people? The, it's the best app, and as a uh, accomplished like uh, touring angler, you know, 
they're not the guys that I'm fishing against. And I have to kind of keep in mind that shore access is going to like stimulate fish brain. But dude, like I can get so much information based, even if just a dude caught a fish on this certain bait and I can see the water color behind them. It's gin clear. I'm like, those fish might not be that hard to catch. You know what I mean? So fish yeah. brain's legit, dude. I mean, I can learn stuff from guys catching two pounders. That's a lot of guys stick up their nose to a lot of resources. And I'm like, man, dude, most of these really good patterns I've been on or whatever from very simple observations. Like uh, that 626 smallmouth I caught last two weeks ago or whatever, dude, I saw a fish bust and push down the bank. I didn't even have a top water on, dude. It was like 930 in the morning, you know, it wasn't exactly go time. And, uh, I was like, dude, that was, that was exactly what that was and tied it on. And I think I got bit the next four casts in a row. And then lo and behold, I caught like 40 and a lot of them were big ones. So just little observations, dude, whether they're the environment around you or, or people posting fish pictures or whatever, dude, the weather report. Yeah. There's a lot that goes, maybe not necessarily unnoticed, but unchecked, I guess is probably totally thing to put. Yeah, everyone thinks they know everything, dude. You know, it's just, I gotta have an open mind, dude. Yeah, I I don't know who it was, but one of the last per, last people I had on the show, I think it was Zach, we were talking about, um, no, no, it was, it was John Shin. When you're talking about, like, when you stop learning, that's, like, when you stop, you know, gain, when you stop gaining knowledge or trying to gain knowledge, that's just, like, when you become, like, just, uh, um what's the word uh stagnant with like your learning and your fish catching just because you you think that you know it all and there's just other shit that you could have learned that you just haven't taken the time to try to figure out or given up on yeah and you got to have the humility to have an open mind you know you got to be humble in your own learning in order to step out on a limb and ask somebody who you may view as inferior or whatever dude the fact of the matter is is that dude's still having experiences on the water you know what i mean if he goes out and he says, hey, dude, I caught a handful of 12 inches, but I saw this four pounder eat this bluegill, you know, and that doesn't get your gears turning. It's like, maybe you should go start golfing. You know, you got to you just got to have an open mind, dude. These fish are adapting to us every single day. The way they react to our live scope presently or the way that they eat your bait today is not the way that they're going to eat or react tomorrow. So you got to just adapt. You know, I'm super fortunate to have a couple lakes here that are they just have big ones, mostly like two to seven pounders, you know? So I get to have a lot of volume messing with fish that are otherwise kind of intelligent in the aspect of, I can catch them on this on, you know, Tuesday, but by Friday they're educated and they don't react the same. So I got to get really creative and come up with some new techniques and dude, it's, it really works, dude. Um, last year in tournaments, I caught a lot of fish doing some crazy experimental stuff, you know? Yeah, that's kind of going full circle to what you guys are talking about, showing a fish a glide bait, you know, 30% every time it's losing interest. And then mm -hmm. at one point in time, it's just not going to follow that bait anymore because it's just not interest because it's seen it the last six casts in the last yeah. three minutes. Yep, exactly. You know, so yeah, you got to gotta play your cards, dude. You got to, you know, approach the fish and show them the bait when they're ready to go. And if they're not ready to go, man, you might be hurting yourself showing them that bait over and over, you know. Yeah, man. Exactly. Exactly. Um, kind of wrapping it up. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you, you were ready to talk about or you had quite or answers for or anything? Um, no, I didn't, I didn't really like prepare for any sort of certain <laughs> script or anything like that. You know, I was, 
Um, I listened to some of your podcasts, dude. Super enjoyable. I think uh, you interviewed a dude, uh, Dylan Ford. Is he the dude from Oklahoma? Yeah. Yep. Dylan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, super sick. Bait. Yeah. I wanted to give him props. I watched this video. Um, catching all those big crank down fish on the clash nine. That was super sick. And just, uh, that was some really good content and it only had like a couple hundred views, dude. So if you guys listen to this podcast and you made it this far, you should probably go watch that guy's video on YouTube. Cause it was some really premium content for not a ton of viewership so far. Yeah. dude, so that and that's like, that There's like a lot of stuff like that, that like mm-hmm. a lot of cool videos that have, you know, 200 views. And it's just like, are you serious? Like it's because that, you know, they're not one of those big, huge YouTubers or whatever it may be. And like, you just see these videos and you're like, wow, like this guy just caught a nine on a mother and nobody's talking about it. Like, are you serious? Yep. Like eight trapped it or whatever it may be. You know, it's like, wow, that's crazy. Yeah, dude. 100%. So yeah, it was super cool seeing that content and, uh, you know, fan of the show, dude, I'll keep, keep listening to whatever you're putting out. And Hell yeah, man. Oh, um, dude. What are, uh, what are the social media and then any sponsorship shout outs you have? Yeah. So, um, Instagram is definitely the platform that I'm most active on. It's just easier for me to manage while I'm working still full-time and fishing tournaments, practically full-time too. Yeah. Um, Colby Pearson fishing, um, spelling on the last names, just P E A R S O N. So pretty easy to find. And then, uh, I try to keep up on there, posting a bunch of pictures. Um, just started filming again, getting into more of the cast to catch stuff. So I think that that'll come together and once i get a few months of content i'll start editing it up and, and getting some stuff out to everybody swim bait stuff as well as tournament stuff and just life stuff so that'll Hell be yeah, awesome man. and then um definitely have some good sponsors um in the swim bait realm uh work super close with swim bait universe so uh big thanks to them big shout out to them for not only educating the community on big baits and big bait resources but um kind of keeping me under their wing and helping me out along the way you know they've seen me kind of grow from a young punk kid swim bait kid to a tournament you know angler aspiring full-time professional so that stick and then uh got with phoenix boats this year so i'm running the phoenix 921 elite 2 um excellent boat definitely the best rig i've ever ran i love it no hitches so far so that's awesome and then uh all decked out with all garments so i got two 106s and two 126s got live scope the whole nine and the new uh, Garmin trolling motor. Super fast, can pull out about four and a half miles an hour. So big shout out to Phoenix, Garmin, Swimbait Universe, and uh, Sly Guy Lures, uh, fish ton of Sly Guy stuff, glides as well as bluegills. We just gave away a bluegill on my Instagram. And I have another bait that I'm gonna give away um, here soon. It's a trout. It's, uh, I'm not gonna give away the color, but he did two one-off baits for me this year to give away to help boost the social media. So big shout out to them and uh, Clayton over there at Sly Guy. So yeah, man, that's it. Appreciate you having me on. And uh, anytime you want to do it again, dude, just give me a holler. Hell yeah, man. Sounds good. I want to thank uh, Colby for coming on. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Um, if you guys don't already, like I said, make sure you follow Colby on Instagram. Make sure you follow podcasts on Instagram, scales and tails underscore pod. Um, check out the Patreon, um, all the behind the scenes stuff on there as well as uh, rate the rate uh, rate the podcast on your listening platform if you haven't already. Um, I think that's everything. So like I said, I want to thank Kobe for coming on. I want to thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed these yeah, I hope you enjoyed the episode and I'll talk to you guys next time. See you guys.